Stand with me for the reading of the word. The title of the message is Praying Down God's Power. Okay, Mark chapter 11, 20 through 26. Let's read the word together. Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those, he, those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord God, you know, Lord, if there was ever a time where the church throughout this world needs power from on high, it's this hour. Lord God, we see the, Lord God, it's the, the gates of hell, Lord God, are charging against the kingdom of God. And Lord God, you're seated at the right hand of the Father, and you have offered us, Lord God, authority and power in your name. Lord God, to do the things that you did while you walked this earth, to do the things that the apostles did as they walked this earth. Father, tune us in today that we may, Lord God, truly understand how to operate in that power and let it be for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jesus taught really, I don't know, about 10 things. Have you ever noticed that and taken a look at that in the Gospels? He taught about 10 things. Over and over and over again. You know, stop and think about those things. He taught about discipleship. He taught about service. He taught about giving. He taught about uh, kindness. He taught about heaven. He taught about hell. He taught about judgment. He taught about love. He taught about faith. He taught in Galilee. He taught in Judea. He taught in Samaria. He taught in the Decapolis. Uh, he taught when he walked along the road. Uh, he taught when he was sitting with the disciples. He, saw, he taught over the dinner table. He even taught on the cross. He taught these very simple lessons. In parables, in stories, hyperboles, similes, life lessons, questions, repetition, repetition. You ever notice he said the same thing multiple times in multiple different places. People say, well, well, I don't understand. Well, Jesus said that at the end of his ministry, in the beginning of his ministry, he said the same things over and over and over again. In fact, John said, if they recorded everything that Jesus said, there wouldn't be enough books in the whole world to be able to hold it all. And he taught about prayer. Now, this is the end of his ministry. It's Tuesday. He's going to be crucified on Friday. The Last Supper is on Thursday. And he teaches this lesson to his disciples. They've been with him for three and a half years. And he's taught them other things about prayer. But now he focuses in. And this is the, the final lesson on prayer. And they needed to learn it. Because he was about to leave them. You see, he was always there with them. Always providing. Always meeting their needs. Protecting them. And now he's going away. 
And they need to learn how to appropriate his power into their lives and ministry through prayer. They didn't, they didn't need to use prayer when he was with. He just, he's providing for them all the time. He's protecting them all the time. Now for us, I don't know about you, all I've known is prayer. Jesus has never appeared to me in the flesh. Okay, I, I've had to obtain his power continuously for 40 years through prayer. And here's his lesson on praying down God's power. Now, I don't know how much time you spend in prayer. You know how much time Gallup says, the average Christian, average evangelical, they say there's 70 million of us in America. I don't know if that's true. But the average Christian, evangelical, charismatic, right, Pentecostal, and that whole group, Bible-believing, the average Christian spends one minute a day in prayer. But now pastors, we're far more spiritual and holy than the rest of you. The average pastor in American evangelical churches spends three minutes a day in prayer. (laughs) Have you noticed that the world is just having a heyday with the church? And we're wondering why all this stuff is being taught our kids we're, we're wondering why it seems like the devil and his people are just totally dominating the culture. One minute a day, three minutes a day. So, the most unattended meeting in our church are prayer meetings. Just pure prayer meetings. You can get people out if you feed them. Have a hamburger day, they're coming. I'm shocked they're not coming for softball. I'm shocked! Free food, right? Shoo. But if you just call people together to pray. By the way, there'll be no uh, message going out on the internet, okay, this coming Wednesday. There's not going to be a message. You're not going to be able to watch, okay? Because all we're going to do on Wednesday night is pray because there's an attack coming against our church. So we're just going to devote Wednesday night just to prayer, Okay? I'll talk a little bit from Ephesians chapter 6 about the armor of God, and then we're going to pray because there's a, a, an attack coming against uh, the body of Christ here. By the way, the, the devil attacks only when God is on the move. So, you know, people like, well, Jesus was continuously being confronted by demons, right? Demons hide. They hide in people's souls, they, 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 they don't want to be seen. The devil likes to masquerade as an angel of light. He likes to be incognito. So when the word of God is going out, when people are praying, when the power of God is on the move, Satan attacks. And there's an attack going on. So something's got to be going on here that's good. Okay? And we see some things that are good. So the enemy is attacking. So we're going to just devote Wednesday night solely to prayer, intercession. Okay, and we're going to be praying against the enemy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so come back to our text. I want to focus, focus on five things this morning that you get from the text. The first is remember. Remember. To pray down God's power, you need to remember. So in verse 20 through 21, 
Now in the morning, as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, remembering, said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. So the concept of remembering is remembering something that happened in the past, something historical. That is a key principle of prayer. Peter is remembering, right, what Jesus did the day before, which was when they were passing the fig tree, Jesus cursed it, and then the fig tree withered. It, it, it died. You know what we call this? We call this a destructive miracle. <laughs> I was preaching on destructive miracles years ago. Somebody in the church came to me and said, there's no such thing as a destructive miracle. I've been a Christian for eight years, and the Bible is filled with destructive miracles. Noah's flood is a destructive miracle. Sodom and Gomorrah was a destructive miracle. You go, through, you go through the scriptures, destructive miracle after destructive miracle. The Assyrian destruction, when, when God brought a, an angel to destroy 186,000 Assyrians, that was a destructive miracle. The plagues of Egypt were destructive miracles. The Passover was a destructive miracle. Acts chapter 12, when Herod is basically proclaiming himself to be a god, He suddenly rotted on the inside instantly and he died. That was a destructive miracle. The Bible talks about when Jesus comes back in all his glory at the end of the tribulation, not the rapture, there will be a generation of unbelievers on the earth. God is going to establish his eternal kingdom. They can't come in. There's a destructive miracle where an entire generation of unbelievers suddenly drop dead. That's a destructive... This is a destructive miracle. And Peter is remembering Jesus cursing the fig tree, which is a a, a symbol of Israel. They're unfruitful. And ultimately, right, 30 years, 40 years later, the um, the, the Romans would come and totally wipe out uh, Israel and destroy Jerusalem. So it was a, a foreshadow of what would happen in 70 AD. So Peter here remembers, right, the miracle and... He's asking Jesus, Lord, how does this power work? I want to I have this power in my life. Now, the, the scriptures are filled with passage after passage about remembering. Look at Psalm 77, verse 11. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracle of long ago. You get into the book of Deuteronomy. What does Deuteronomy mean? Deuter, Deuter. It's the second giving of the law. And in it, you have time after time, it's about 14 times where God is saying to the Jewish people, remember what I have done. Remember the Passover. Remember the plagues of Egypt. Remember passing through the Red Sea. Remember the water from the rock. Remember me turning the bitter bitter, um, waters of Marah into sweet waters. Remember the quail that flew in from the sea. Remember, remember, remember. What did Jesus say in the institution of the Last Supper? What were those words? Right. Do this in remembrance of me. Why? Why remember? Why all these verses on, on remembering? Why? Because I forget. Do you forget? These are some common things that people forget. To return phone calls. Have you ever had that one? 
where they left their car keys, their cell phone, their wallet. Does that ever happen to you? To pay a bill, their eyeglasses. You ever forget your eyeglasses? Where are, I? Where are they? People's names. Guilty. <laughs> Charging our phones. Passwords to different websites. <laughs> to fill their gas tank. I've gotten people calling me on that one. I'm stuck on the highway. What's the matter with your car? The gas tank is empty. I don't know. With the way gas prices are now, maybe I understand that. Or their Bible. So the, the idea here is, right, you, you need to... How many of you remember what you had for dinner last night? Quick, quick. How many of you remember what you had for dinner last night? How many of you remember what you had for dinner on Friday night? Whoop! <laughs> By Thursday, you don't know what you ate. <laughs> so he says we need to remember. Remember the important stuff. I'll give you three things, three things that are worth remembering. The God of miracles... Remember the miracles in the Bible. It's God's power on display from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You see the miracles in the day of Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Elijah, Elisha, in the New Testament, Jesus, the apostles. Remember the miracles throughout the Scripture. Second is, remember the miracles in the church, this church. This church is a miracle. If you've been here for any amount of time, and Sam, and Lenny, and Sue, and Rachel, this church is a miracle. It, it was one miracle after another that basically, I mean, this body, the building, the ministry, the miracles of people's salvation, healings. Ritter, your two boys, I think, are two of the most miraculous conversions that I have seen in this church in the past 30 years. With Johann and Caesar, who are both ministers now, Pastor Caesar, and Johann runs Teen Challenge in Long Island, Brooklyn. I'll tell you just this, and I've said this to you. When they came into this church, and I remember we had a picnic, and they were at the park, and I was talking with them. I looked into their eyes, and let me tell you, so you ever look into people's eyes and just see darkness? That's all I saw. It was just pure darkness. And today, I mean, devote ministers of the Lord. There, there have been so many in, in, just, in, incredible, in, just incredible miracles that God has done in this show. Healings! R Ryan, your son. The hole in his heart. He had a... Sunday, we prayed over him at the altar. He has a hole in his heart. He's got to go in Tuesday. He goes in Monday. The doctor does the examination. The hole is gone. I know we had two miracles that week in that kid's life. Ministry miracles. The supernatural power of God working through our prayers through the years. We need to remember those things. How about remembering the miracles in your own life? The miracles in my life. How many times God has, has healed me? How many times, even before I was saved, that God literally pulled me from death? You know, talking, I was just talking to Francisco. He had a pool party with the kids yesterday. And 
we were talking about when I grew up on the other side of town, I was in the pool swimming. I was a little kid. We came from New York. My father built a pool in the backyard. I'm swimming in the pool. And all of a sudden, something told me, seven years old, grab on the side of the pool. I went over. I, something told me that. I didn't know what the something was or who the someone was. And I grabbed on the side of the pool. All of a sudden, the pool buckled. And the water was gone in a second. The pool was built on a septic tank. My father didn't know it. I would have been sucked down into that septic tank. I would have been killed. But all of a sudden, I, I knew, I know today that it wasn't a what that told me, it was a who. But there had been, there had been multiple meals. Just a number of years ago, coming home one night on an icy night, I flipped my truck down into a ravine. A ravine. Doom, doom, doom. I'm covered with glass. The roof is caved in. And I walked out without a scratch. Angels watching over me. But miracles. Of course, the greatest miracle, the greatest, greatest miracle is my salvation and your salvation. I went from, again, being an atheist to a Christian in three days. But the miracles. See, we need to remember the miracles in the Word. We need to remember the miracles that God has done in our church, and we need to remember the miracles that God has done in our lives because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what He did then, He can do now. Number two, faith. So the first principle is remember. The second principle, a theological principle, faith, or trust. In verse 22, Jesus said, have faith in God. That is just simply trusting God. How do we come to a place where we trust God? Well, the, the, the only way you can come to the place of trusting God is by knowing God. It's not, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust. I'm, that's, that, that's not how faith comes. It comes from, from knowing God. That becomes the, the very way. Having an intimate, practical relationship with God where he will prove himself to you to be true, to be faithful, to be loving, to be powerful, to be compassionate, and to be kind, and to be the best friend you could ever have. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent, to know God. I'll show you, show you something that I learned a number of years ago about God. And the first, the first is, is that God is all-knowing, right? He knows all things. He's omniscient. He knows the, the beginning. He knows what's happening. He knows the future. knows the past, right? Knows, knows all things. There's nothing that the Father does not know. And Father, right, Father knows best. But He's all-knowing. And think of this. If He is all-knowing and knows what's best for me, Right? That's, that's a big thing. He knows what's best for me. The second is, he's all loving. He loves us. His grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his compassion, his kindness. If you have any doubt about the love of God, you need to go to the cross. Right? We sing, lead me to Calvary, lest I forget Gethsemane, lest I forget thine agony, lest I forget thy love for me, lead me to Calvary. 
If you have any doubt about the love of God, as Sam said this morning, go to the cross, stand at the bottom of the cross, kneel at the bottom of the cross, and look up and see the nails that were meant for you, that were in his feet and in his hands, and the cross that was meant for you, that he hung on six hours that Friday, taking all of your sins upon himself so that you could be forgiven and receive the gift of eternal life. If God is all-knowing, then he knows what's best for me. If God is all-loving, then he wants what's best for me. And then it tells us that God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. There is nothing impossible for God, nothing that he cannot do except, except to violate his nature. He can't sin. He can't lie. He can create by what is called divine fiat. He can create something out of nothing. He could divide the sea. He could raise the dead. He could heal the blind. He could speak the universe into existence. So stop and think of this. If God is all-knowing, he knows what's best for me. If God is all-loving, he wants what's best for me. And if God is all-powerful, he will do what's best for me. And how do you come to that place? You come to that place by faith. You come to that place by faith. You come to that place by knowing him. You, you come to that place through the very word of God, his personal revelation to you. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We were looking at on Wednesday night here in John chapter 15, verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, Notice this, again, this is, uh, this is relationship, abiding, remaining, being connected to him, knowing him, loving him, being loved by him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. That's faith. Faith. That's faith that comes by knowing God. By knowing God a faith that energizes us, a faith that, that creates this, this power in us? Number three. So, powerful prayer comes from remembering. It comes from faith in God. And the third principle here is spiritual belief. It's to believe not only in Him, but to believe that He will answer your prayer. And so you, you, you may be sitting there going, well, didn't he just talk about faith? That was the second point. And the third point is believe. Well, that's what Jesus did. I didn't make this up. Jesus uses, there's one word for faith in the New Testament. It's pistis. But there are different ways that it is used. There, there are different, okay, it would be, it would be equivalent like, like saying do or doing or done, okay? So there are different tenses, so here, what Jesus uses in verse 22, he uses the word pistis, which is talking about just simple faith, trust in God. And then here in verse 23, he uses the word pistu, which is more of a confidence or an assurance that God will do what you've asked him to do. So watch. For surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now I want, you, I want you to notice, whoever says to this mountain, be removed. So here's Jesus, right? He's in Jerusalem. 
You got the Mount of Olives. You got the Mount Zion range. You got Mount Moriah. Which mountain was he talking about? He is not talking (laughs) about being in the excavation business. This is a rabbinical saying. The mountain speaks about your problems. The mountain speaks about your challenges. Your mountain speaks about the obstacles of life that we all face and deal with every day, day after day. Relational, spiritual, financial. All these different challenges that come. And if we are going to pray effectively and remove them, our faith needs to be undiluted. It's the one who does not doubt in his heart, who doesn't doubt deep down. If you are doubting deep down, your prayers will be ineffective. You will not see those problems, those issues, those challenges being removed. Now, realize this. He's not talking about faith and faith. You get that a lot in the faith teachers. Faith and faith. There's no, there's no power in, in, in faith. It, it is the power of having faith in God. In God. But people tell you, you know what, just listen, you can, if you have faith in that steel pole in the middle of the room there, if you have faith in that, and you really believe, you believe that that pole is going to give you power, that you'll get power, you, that's, not, that's not the faith of the Bible. It's the New Age movement. True faith is faith in God and believing that God will answer your prayer. So essentially here again, doubt needs to be erased. You need to eliminate the doubt. And the question becomes, do I believe God and do I believe that God will do what I have asked or am I doubting Him? Because we can limit God. Have you ever limited God? I have. With my, with my doubts. Look at um, James chapter 1, 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So just stop, just stop for a second And realize that, again, the lack of faith will limit God from doing things that he would like to do in your lives. Just like when he was in Nazareth. Right? You went to Nazareth? It says in Matthew chapter 13, 58. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. That they're looking at him and saying, Isn't this Joseph, the carpenter's son? And his mother is Mary? And he's got four brothers and a couple of sisters. He's the guy. He grew up you know, right at our feet. He was that little kid, right, working in his father's carpentry shop. What did you say? A prophet is always rejected in his hometown. I don't know if you've had that experience. I had that experience when I got saved with my family members. Some of them still look at me that way. It's kind of funny. They still look at you as that, you know, I'm just that punky little kid. What is he, some, some kind of a preacher, a prophet? My uncle Dom on the elevator, my, my other uncle Frank had AIDS and he was dying. And I was on an elevator, I think we were in Sloan Kettering, the burn center, the big burn center in New York. Because this is when AIDS, he was one of the first people in New York to get AIDS. And um, 
And we're on the elevator, and my uncle looks at me. I have my Bible. He says, he looks at me and goes, what the hell are you? A rabbi? <laughs> my little uncle, who was like, he's like, he's like five foot two. Little bald head, right? You don't want to tap him on the head, right? Prophets always rejected in his hometown. Jesus was rejected. He couldn't, he would have healed multitudes of people. He would have revealed the love of God and salvation to their hearts, but they didn't believe, so he couldn't do it. So we limit God. How much faith do you need? How much faith do you need? What did Jesus say? He, he said, with faith the size of a mustard seed, nothing is impossible. So you don't need to have massive, huge faith. You just need to have faith the size of a mustard seed that is unpolluted and undiluted with doubt. That's the secret to prayer. Number four, ask. So powerful prayer is remembering. It is having faith in God and is believing that God will answer your prayers. And then the fourth is to ask. So in verse 25, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you have received them and you will have them. I want you to know two things. Whatever and ask. First thing, look at I'm going to switch it. Let's, let's look at ask. I think when he was saying this, the apostles must have immediately been reminded of what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be open. Or what man is there among you if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Our Father is more willing to give to us, folks. He's more willing to give to us than we are willing to ask or receive. James, you know where I'm going, Sam. Look at James. What James says in in chapter 4, verse 2 and 3 You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Maybe there are things that God wants to give you right now today, but you don't ask him for them. Maybe you're trying to get them on your own through your own effort. Trying to do it on your own. Maybe you're not even thinking that, hey, why even ask? But you don't have because you don't ask. And then notice what he says in verse 3, and you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. This is the whatever, right? Whatever you ask for in prayer, it will be given to you. But here, notice the whatever, if you're asking for the whatever with the wrong motives, selfish motives, greedy motives, he ain't going to give it to you. So here's a famous Irish prayer that kind of demonstrates praying with the wrong motives. This is not to offend any of the Irish people. My wife is part Irish. Her children, my children, have a quarter of Irish in them. My grandchildren, an eighth of Irish in them. We've got some Irish in us. But look at this prayer. It says, may those who love us love us, and those who don't love us, may God turn their hearts. And if he doesn't turn their hearts, may he turn their ankles, so we'll know them by their limping. That's not the way to pray. <laughs> That's a joke, by the way. I don't think that the Irish really believe that. <laughs> but you've got you to pray with, 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 with pure motives. You've got to pray according to the will of God. I find myself, as I have matured in the Lord, I spend much time in my prayer life in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
Jesus said, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me nevertheless. Not as I will, but as you will. Not my will, but your will be done. Because if my whatever is in contradict, it contradicts or is in conflict with God's will, I won't receive what I'm asking for. So the whatever has to be in harmony with the will of God. When I first got saved, before I was saved, it was actually a couple of years before, I had an injury, and I was experiencing a paralysis on my left side. And um, I went from being able to bench press over 400 pounds to not being able to press the 45-pound bar off my chest. And um, I actually was squatting a large amount of weight, and I lost it, and I came forward, and it rolled over the top of my head. And, and it basically, it, it, it just the atlas vertebrae and then the four vertebrae underneath it were all like this. So I couldn't, I couldn't function with my arm. I had numbness. I also had tremendous pain that started from my neck, went through the radial nerve down into the medial nerve into my hand. I still have numbness in these two fingers. And um, I'm, I'm probably... I don't know, maybe 20% weaker on my left side than my right side. I, w- I was training. In fact, I was training with this big dude this week on Tuesday night. And um, big dude, like six foot four guy, um, was good, good martial artist, and um, about 240 pounds. And um, we, were, we were dropping elbows on one another, not, not in one another's heads, so you know. But we're dropping, we're dropping elbows, and he goes, man, you're much stronger on your right side than your left side. Yeah, you know, I was paralyzed on my left side. And... Uh, so when I, when I got saved, I started praying to God, God, heal me. I want the strength. I used to pray this. I want the strength of Samson. I want to be a strong man again. Lord, heal me. You've got to heal my body. You've got to build my body, Lord. By the way, the pain is gone. But he didn't heal me. I get heavy with weights, and my right arm goes up, and the left arm doesn't. But what he said to me is, I have something greater for you. I want you to build my body instead of your body. So it was his will, not my will, being done. And that, of course, was a great blessing. When Jesus taught us the Lord's Prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's your will be done. Those four important words. In 1 John chapter 5, 14 through 15, now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. It's his will. I want to read to you a quote. I don't, I don't pull, I, you know, I don't quote a lot of people. I quote from Scripture. I use Scripture to teach Scripture, as it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, right? The Scriptures interpret the Scriptures. But I want to read to you a quote by a great preacher, one of my favorite preachers. I recommend him to you. His name is John MacArthur. True man of God and a, a great expository preacher. Listen to this, what he says. The Lord understands our cries. He understands the cry for healing. He understands the cry for a better marriage. He understands the cry of the heart over the children that grieve you and just torture you with their dissatisfaction and their rebellion. He understands that. He understands the struggles with money and finances, and he understands all that. He understands all that. 
And he holds you in his heart, and he will never forsake you, and he will never withhold any good thing from you. And all things will work together for the good if you faithfully ask. But at the end, you can pour out your heart to him, you can storm heaven, but always with this qualifying statement, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Why? His is greater, purer, wiser, more generous, more gracious, more merciful than anything you could ever, ever imagine. It's sometimes really hard to swallow. I prayed for people who have died. I prayed for people who were healed. I don't understand, Lord, but I know that your will and your love is far greater than anything I'm going to understand in this life. We need to pray according to his will. Ask according to his will. Last point here, number five, right, is forgive. He puts this little moral condition into our prayer life. And it says in Mark chapter 11, 25 through 26, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. And that your heavenly father, okay, your father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Wow. So he says, when you're standing, by the way, they would stand and pray, kneel and pray, prostrate themselves on their belly and pray. I mean, there are so many different ways of praying, but he says you need to forgive. And the word forgive means to throw aside. It it means you, you need to let it go. You need to release it. You need to toss it aside. If you do not toss it aside, it will become... A limitation, it will become a block in you being able to pray effectively. It will also, what happens, it grows and becomes anger and bitterness and rage and vengeance. And see, it will essentially deteriorate your mind, your emotions, your body, and your spiritual relationship with God. And it will disempower your prayers. Now, Jesus isn't asking us to be doormats. Okay? Some people have come to me when I've taught on forgiveness and said I was in an abusive relationship. I had a husband who beat me. Uh, He's not asking you to be a doormat. Okay? By forgiving, you free yourself. It doesn't mean that you, you, you stay a doormat. This person, you know, there are people, when I talk about this, Negative people, abusive people, you know, the, the, the word, you know, we, we're supposed to love people. I tell people, when you're around people like that, don't, don't, don't walk away from them. Run away from them. Run away from them. I refuse to allow anybody to abuse me or my family or you. I refuse. And somebody's going to come, and I'm going to walk away. I'll walk away. No, listen, don't want any trouble. I'm going to walk away. They start coming. I, I could still run. I, I, I could run. I'll run away. When there's no place to run. Backs to the wall. That's for another lesson. That's for another lesson. But I will, I will avoid. I'm not letting this person abuse me. Jesus said, love your neighbor 
as yourself. Right? Would you abuse your neighbor? Of course not. Not as a true Christian. I have neighbors that are not believers. We treat them with dignity. We treat them with respect. We help them if they need help. But um, when it comes to somebody stepping in and abusing me, no. I'll love you, right? Like I love myself. I'm not letting you abuse me. I'm not letting you take an advantage over me. So essentially what happens is by forgiving this person, again, you're not not letting them turn you into a doormat, but what you're doing is you're stepping away and uh, you forgive them, release them. You're throwing it aside. Because if you do not throw it aside, listen, it's bad enough that somebody has hurt you. Why go on letting them hurt you every day? Right? That's a little sick, isn't it? Reliving in your mind over and over and over again what somebody has done to you, right, that becomes self-abuse. So by releasing them, again, just casting it aside, I become free. I become free. And that's a very powerful thing. I'm not carrying around the anger and the bitterness in my heart. Look, Psalm 68, verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. It blocks us from connecting with God. Unforgiveness. Any unrepented sin. Unconfessed sin. It it becomes something that limits us from being able to connect with God. Jesus told the parable of the unmerciful servant. His master forgives him. He owed a debt of $100,000. He says, it's forgiven. You don't have to pay it back. The guy leaves. He finds a guy who owes him $1,000, puts his hands around his neck and chokes him. He says, give me back my $1,000. The guy says, I don't have the money. He says, and you're going to jail. He throws him in jail. Jesus, no mercy on that guy who was forgiven $100,000 but couldn't forgive somebody for $1,000. And we have been forgiven a trillion dollars by the Lord, and he expects us to go and show the same forgiveness for others. He doesn't want you carrying that anger, that rage, that vengeance inside of you. Pastor Sam, when he first came to the church, was here, I think it was Wednesday night or Sunday night. Pastor Sam's father was assassinated by two hit people, a woman and a man. And um, Pastor Sam, his goal was to find the two, who I think were in jail, when they got out, and kill them. That was his, his objective. And so I'm preaching a similar message on forgiveness. And I just know your testimony. Sam came to the altar, and he threw it by the wayside. And he forgave them. Have you been more whole, have been more healthy, have been more happy, have had a greater relationship with God than carrying something like that throughout your life? That is what we need to do to keep the prayer line open. Look at Matthew chapter 6, 14 through 15. Jesus repeated it again. He said, for if if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Again, he will not forgive 
your trespasses. Does that mean that if we don't forgive someone, right, we're in relationship with God. You've truly been born again. And now you won't forgive someone. Does that mean you're going to hell? It almost seems that's what Jesus is saying. Can I just, I want to I shed some light. Remember when Jesus washed the disciples' feet? It says, Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash. But Peter went like this. He went, Woo! You're not washing my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Lord, wash me completely. As Peter, compulsive Peter. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed need only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. He's talking about Judas, for he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, You are not clean. In fact, if you look at the word, When you come to Jesus, you are bathed from head to toe. You are forgiven of all your sins. But we need to be washed. Because we pick up things and we still deal with the flesh and we're in this filthy world and we pick up things. That's why we need to go on confessing our sins. He is not saying here that if you don't forgive someone, you're going to hell. But he is saying, if you do not forgive people, what's going to happen is that connection with me is going to become corroded. Look, we have a pipeline to God. This is what unforgiveness does to the pipeline. This is what unconfessed sin does to the pipeline. This is what unrepented sin does to the pipeline. Where the pipeline becomes so corroded, so corroded, that now we are not, we are not connecting with God. We're, 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 he's not hearing us. But forgiveness, repentance, confess sins, it keeps the pipeline open. So I'm going to give you one tip from a man whose biggest struggle in this life has been anger. Anger, vengeance. I would have liked to sign up with Sammy and go and find those two people and assassinate them. That's the flesh. And I don't know what your fleshly sin is. Pride, arrogance, lust. Mine is anger. Okay? When I would lose it in the world, man, if I was bouncing and I lost it, people used to say, it didn't matter if the devil was in front of him. He's going to go after him and fight him. I, after my conversion, learned how to fight the devil a different way. This has helped me so much. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 4, 44 through 45. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you. Come on, Lord. Are you kidding me? Are, are you, Lord, are, you know, come on. Love 
My enemies, by the way, he's not saying we are to love our enemies the way we love our wives or our husbands or our children or our grandchildren or our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not phileos love, a storge love, or a romantic love, eros. It's agape. It's that love of God, that benevolence. Lord, that's really hard. But notice what he says, and pray for those. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. I can do that. I can do that. I'm doing that right now in my life with, with, with someone. I can do that. I can pray for them. I can get down on my knees and I can pray, not my will but yours be done. I commit this person to you and I cast my anger to the wayside like Sammy did. I can do that. And it's amazing what happens when you begin to pray for somebody who has hurt you. When you pray for somebody who has spitefully used you. Or you pray for somebody who has persecuted you. It's amazing what happens to you because suddenly you can pray blessing upon them. You could pray the love of God upon them. It is, it is something wonderful and supernatural and it, and it frees you. And then he says in verse 45 that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And suddenly now we're becoming more like God. More like God. Here's our application for the day. So again, Jesus last week, I'm leaving in a few days. So he says here, now learn to appropriate my power through prayer. He says, remember... Remember what I have done throughout the scriptures. Remember what I have done amongst you the last three and a half years. Remember what I've done in your own personal lives. Have faith in God. Know him. Believe in prayer. That when you ask, you'll receive. And then ask. Ask for whatever but ask according to my will and forgive and keep the pipeline to me clean for I'll be there to hear you. You know what they did? What did they do? Gospels come to an end. Jesus is crucified. He's raised from there. What did they do? He ascended into heaven. What did they do? <clears throat> Acts 1.14 these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They prayed. And what happened? Suddenly you see the book of Acts, you could call it the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit. You can also call it the Acts of Prayer. So they prayed. And on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And they prayed. And on Pentecost, 3,000 people received the Lord. And they prayed. And people were healed. And they prayed. And people were raised from the dead. And they prayed. And their persecutor, Saul of Tarsus, got knocked on his butt off of his donkey and came to the Lord and became one of them, serving them. 
And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And that is the story of Acts from Acts chapter 1 to Acts chapter 28. They prayed and they prayed the power of God down into their lives. And they prayed prisoners free like Peter when he was in prison. And they prayed the gospel to come to the Gentiles. And it came to Asia Minor. And it came to Greece. And it came to Europe. And it came to the whole world. And when you get to Acts 29, just I don't have it here. Just turn with me real quick in your Bible to Acts 29. Just open to Acts 29 real fast. Shh, shh. There's no Acts 29. You know what Acts 29 is? It's 2,000 years of the church of Jesus Christ praying the power of God down into this world. Right, Tito? Tito is a, a Barbara extraordinaire. He even says he can make hair grow on my head. got a ministry, two locations, incredible ministry. We have many people like you here, and it's to the glory of God, people truly being ministers, being servants of God, not just when they come here on a Sunday, but all week long. God bless you. They pray. You pray? You pray? We pray. We pray the power of God down. And if there is again ever an hour where that is needed, it is this hour. I hope this touched your hearts. I hope it moved you to a deeper prayer life, to a more active prayer life, and to a more powerful prayer life. You have been given the opportunity by God to pray the power of God down into your life, into the lives of others, and into this very dying and sick world. Take advantage. Bow your heads with me. The worship team can work their way up. Father, I pray, Lord God, today, first, if there's anybody here in this church, Lord God, who needs to repent, who needs to turn away from their sin and turn to you, Lord God, receive the gift of eternal life, be forgiven of their sins, and be born again, that you would do that in this very moment by asking Jesus Christ to come into your heart, to be your Lord and Savior, putting your faith in him and saying to him, Lord, I believe that you died for me on the cross and were raised from the dead, and surrendering your life to him that you would leave here forgiven of all your sins with the gift of eternal life in your heart and the hope of heaven. And I pray, Lord God, for the rest. Put a spirit of prayer in our hearts, Lord. Take this message, Lord, and empower us with it. And Lord God, let us truly become prayer warriors for the glory of God. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me. The altars will be open for prayer, for seeking. Thank you, Pastor Frank. Thank you, Lord, for your words. Amen. As Pastor said, the altars are open for you. If you'd like to spend a little time up here just praying on your own or with somebody. And if you're in your seat, pray for those who are up here. I need more often to go 
May God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God who loves you all, He loves you, He loves you, go with you all, bring you home safely, bless your Lord's Day today, find time for Him, love your families, love your wives and your husbands and your children, your mothers and fathers, may God bless you all, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.